Before we get into today's episode, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know by now, we're here to tell you that hockey has returned to ESPN. The NHL season has started back up, and that means you can stream your team's games on ESPN+. Plus, From the Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning to the brand new Seattle Kraken. Subscribe to ESPN+, Plus so you don't miss a goal. We wanted to tell you about another great ESPN podcast. It's The Right Time with Bomani Jones. Three times a week, The Right Time with Bomani Jones podcast brings you the latest from technology, music, and the very best analysis of the games that we watch, plus a community of guests that will become your closest friends in no time. Listen to The Right Time with Bomani Jones, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, wherever you get your podcasts. In the Crease is presented by ADT, brilliantly safe. The ESPN NHL podcast with Linda Cohn and Emily Kaplan. Linda Cohn, Emily Kaplan, this is the In the Crease podcast. Emily, it's so great when we do this thing that we have plenty to talk about. And we knew this was coming because when a one team goes on this long losing streak, change has to be made. Usually it's the head coach. And you think I'm talking about the Vancouver Canucks. You'd be accurate, but we're going to put that on pause for a moment because the Philadelphia Flyers trumped the Vancouver Canucks this morning when they fired Elaine Vigneault, the head coach who's been there three seasons, uh, got the team into the playoffs once, but they were in the midst of an eight game losing streak and looking bad doing it, Emily. I'm not surprised. Are you a change was made? You know, I wasn't, I would have been surprised if I didn't get this call on Thursday because I was working phones for the point as I usually do. And I was calling about the Canucks situation, the Canadians, yada, yada, yada. And I was talking to a source who always really plugged in on hirings and firings. And he said, you watch Chuck Fletcher's press conference. And I said, I did. He said, Chuck Fletcher gave a vote of confidence to Elaine Vigneault. And he said, did you view that as a vote of confidence? I said, I did. And he's like, I've seen this before in the league. David Poyle gave a vote of confidence to Peter Laviolette days before he fired him. He goes, keep an eye on the situation. Keep an eye on Rick Tockett. He was just in Philadelphia a week earlier getting honored by a Philadelphia Hall of Fame. I'm not so sure, but there's a good possibility that they had some kind of meeting with Flyers Brass, and it really feels like this was the time that they wanted to do it. And just one more thing, Linda, I don't think they want to fire Lane Vigneault for many reasons, one of them which being that he makes $5 million for the next two seasons. Comcast is a big company. It's not family-owned anymore. They can absorb that. The reason they didn't want to fire them is because Chuck Fletcher and the management team are disappointed in the players too. And they wanted to not absolve all the heat from them. That said, it got to a point it was untenable, especially after that 7-1 loss to the Lightning. Yeah, money speaks uh, for sure. But here's the thing. Let's go back in time. I don't know if you remember, Emily, but I do. In the offseason, there are reports that multiple Philadelphia Flyers players approached Chuck Fletcher, not happy with Elaine Vigneault and his coaching staff. But at that time, Chuck Fletcher decided to bring in some new players, hoping just improving the team and its core group and making them what he thought would be Stanley Cup contenders would alleviate that kind of talk, would push that kind of talk away because he was not all in. He did not believe that was the main reason why change should be made. Again, money probably is another reason, as you pointed out, but that was back in the offseason. He wanted to improve by bringing in a Ryan Ellis, by bringing in a Cam Atkinson, 
and some of these other moves. Now, unfortunately for Chuck Fletcher and the Flyers organization, Ryan Ellis has missed a lot of time due to injury, 17 games, I believe, out. Uh, uh, you know, other players have been hurt. Uh, others have not picked up the slack. Uh, he ran out of patience. And so um, he's worried about his job as well, Emily, too, because some would yeah. say, you know, this is his last hurrah with his Flyers organization. So he had to make a change. And I think he had that in mind. And, you know, he's not paying the $5 million. He is the general manager. So, you know, I'm sure there was a conversation there. And, uh, you know, that was uh, said that if this team does not improve, uh, you might be gone too. So how does this team improve? He thought back of perhaps of that conversation in the offseason and then decided to make the move that he had to make. You know, you say Chuck Fletcher and you talk about his job. I think it's important, too, for our listeners to understand the power structure there because he's not the only voice making decisions. And there's a lot of people in the league that kind of roll their eyes and say, well, Chuck Fletcher is just a mouthpiece. Now, I don't think that to be true. But Paul Holmgren and a lot of folks from that previous regime still have a big voice and are still guiding the way for Chuck Fletcher. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes out. The bottom line, as you said, Linda, this is a team that two years ago was the number one seed in the bubble, lost in the second round, and then just haven't looked the same since. And last year we can write off because of COVID issues. This year you can write off because, oh, Ryan Ellis is injured. Kevin Hayes is injured. They haven't had their full lineup. But the truth is there's something just not right. Yeah. And it's in the DNA. And you brought up the players going about Elaine Vigneault. Let's just talk about his style. It's an old school style. He comes across as maybe a little arrogant that he knows things. Apparently players have issues because there's not a lot of teaching moments there. It's kind of just like, yeah, you should just do this because you're a pro and this is the way it should be done. Um, and I'm not sure that necessarily jives with today's NHL, specifically on the Flyers, a team that is trying to incorporate a lot of young players. I agree with that. Elaine Vigneault, I mean, I watched him a lot with the New York Rangers. I mean, he's always been great to me, but talking to some of the players basically and watching him and watching his body language that, uh, you know, put your arm around player moment, you know, that our colleague John Tortorella is so good at, you know, people can rip torts all they want, but this guy teaches young players. He guides young players. He'll take them around. Yeah. His mug is in that player's face, but there'll be teaching moments there as well. Elaine Vigneault, what I noticed and others have noticed and have told me, he would delegate that to one of his coaching assistants. And it's the coaching assistants under AV that would do that kind of hard work while AV would just be, you know, the head coach. Yeah. You brought up towards, you know, he'd probably kill me for sharing this anecdote, but I know he doesn't listen to our podcast <laughs> because he doesn't listen to any podcasts. Right. <laughs> Every time I ask him to come on it, he says, no. Um, People don't understand. There was always a big deal about Pierre-Luc Dubois and Torts, and they were fighting, and they were at war, and the player could never thrive there. Pierre-Luc Dubois got traded. Pierre-Luc Dubois and Torts are in touch until this day. See? They still have a good relationship. And, like, people don't understand where maybe publicly can come across as a really tough coach. But behind the scenes, he cares about these guys. He wants to connect with them. Sometimes it just doesn't come through. Yeah. So Torts, we don't want to lose him. He's always going to come up when there's a coaching vacancy. My money's still on Rick Tockett, though. It makes a little bit too much sense. He's a beloved players coach, right? Like, he was a guy that had been there pretty recently. He connects with the guys, and I think he would bring the right enthusiasm. But for now, they're going to give Mike Yo the shot because he does have a reputation of being a little bit of a turnaround artist in the interim period. Yes. I mean, Alicia, he has something on that resume. But he does have a winning record <laughs> during the regular season, a losing record in the postseason as a head coach with Minnesota 
and St. Louis, but I'm with you on Rick Tockett. Even the Rick Tockett, when he was on the set with TNT just recently last week, they were kidding about it, but were they kidding? They were talking about it. That was a talking point for those guys in between mm-hmm. periods of their games, whether Rick Tockett would be interested in going to Philly, but he is beloved there. And I'd be shocked, shocked if that is not the choice that is made uh, for Philadelphia uh, moving forward. Um, we talk about coaches that can relate to players. He's one of talk about a perfect transition. Yes, he's one of my favorite humans. He's one of my favorite guys. I knew him when he coached the Ducks. Talking about Bruce Boudreau and Bruce Boudreau is the perfect choice to replace Travis Green. Emily, we all knew this was coming. I thought it was going to come before American Thanksgiving. Uh, now this is interesting. This is the first time I found this out today from a, a local uh, Vancouver reporter. It's the first time in like ever that the franchise has ever fired their coach and GM at the same time during the regular season. Uh, It doesn't happen often. It doesn't happen with many organizations during the regular season when both guys go, but that's what happened last night when the Canucks finally fired Travis Green as their head coach and Jim Benning as their general manager. A lot of blame to go around here, uh, but it's the big boy players, Emily, that did not step up. Yes. Um, okay. There's so much to unpack here. I don't even know where to begin. One thing I don't understand is they were reportedly considering parting with Jim Benning last year. Okay. You don't do it. Then you let him go over the summer and make a series of franchise defining moves, including taking on contracts like Oliver Ekman Larson, and then you fire him. It just feels like they did a disservice to themselves by letting him do a little bit more damage, because I do think there is a personnel issue here, specifically with the way they crafted their blue line. That said, when you talk about players stepping up, the best players on the Canucks have not been the best players. Elias Pettersson just looks lost out there. He doesn't look like that electrifying player that can galvanize a team. And what they need is somebody who's going to light that fire under him. And Bruce Boudreau is known throughout his career as that guy who can bring up the best in guys, put them in positions to succeed and bring energy. Uh, Last thing on Bruce Boudreau, what has he been doing since he's been out of hockey? You might've seen him on NHL Network. He and his wife, Crystal, also bought a junior hockey team. And I constantly am getting email press releases from Crystal herself. It is the most endearing thing. They are hockey lifers. If you don't know yeah. Bruce and Bruno's story, look it up because he's just done it all in the game. Well, he's great. Not only he's been on the NHL network, he's been uh, a regular, a staple on Sirius XM NHL network radio. Uh, he brings a lot to the table. And I love the fact that you, you resort, he brings energy. I say he connects greatly to these younger players. And it's amazing because mm-hmm. now he is the oldest coach in the National Hockey League behind the bench at the young age of 66. So he acts younger than his years. And uh, I think this is the jumpstart uh, the Canucks need. And now, you know, uh, Stan Smeal, longtime Vancouver Canuck, great. Mm-hmm. His, uh, you know, his jersey is on, you know, raised to the rafters. Uh, he is the interim GM. They're going to be looking for someone more permanent There are candidates within this organization, but I'm not sure if they're going to stay within the organization. You know, Henrik and Daniel Sedin worked for the organization, Um, their exact role and their title. You know, it's part I can't remember off the top of my head, but it has to do with being assistant to the GM. It may not be called assistant GM for both the Sedin twins, but they're in that area of the organization. Don't think they would make a big step up like that. That'd be too dramatic. But I think the search is on outside the organization and in for the Vancouver Canucks GM. But for now, Bruce Boudreaux's got a two-year deal. Um, it's going to if he if he can 
here's what they're, they're too far back to make a run to the playoffs in the Pacific division, which has surprised all of us. It's better than we thought. But if Bruce can somehow guide these players, get, you know, wake up Patterson, for goodness sake. I mean, he hasn't been electric since he was a rookie. Um, wake him up, wake up Horvat, Besser. I'll tell you, Quinn Hughes has come on of late. Uh, JT Miller has come on of late. Thatcher Demko needs some guidance there, but he isn't getting any help. Um, but if Bruce can at least get them right and have them play better hockey toward the end of the season and then have a full year next year, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a new contract because he's that good. Agree. A little reporting on his contract is being reported as a two-year deal, which it is. He's definitely coaching them through the end of the season, but the next year is actually an option. They did not make this public. So it's an interesting structure because you Mm. see the coach being hired before the GM. It's clearly an ownership hired by coach. So maybe they bring in a new GM. They can assess how the end of this year goes. And it's not a lock that Bruce Boudreau would be there next year, but Linda, as you said, if they show improvements, which I can't see them not improving from the state that they're at, um, I think he'll be around for a bit. Yeah, because it's a talented group. I don't blame Bruce for jumping at this opportunity with those guys. And they're not too far removed. I know it was a bubble year when they, you know, wowed us all and, and did some things in the playoffs. And, you know, Thatcher Demko's, of course, memorable game. Uh, mm-hmm. where he stopped a million shots, uh, did it on his head uh, from his butt. You name it, he stopped it. He became a household name. People didn't know who he was. This California kid, this goaltender who just wowed us. And people are like, what? He's from California? They play hockey there? Uh, Yeah, they've been doing that since Wayne Gretzky became an L.A. King way back when, who changed everything in the National Hockey League. So anyway, getting back to Vancouver, uh, the move was made. We knew it was going to be made, um, and it had to be made. I still think Travis Green is a good head coach. I truly do. Uh, I think he's going to get a job somewhere. Now, the question is, What's the next opening? I don't wish any bad things to happen to any current head coaches, but you got to wonder, okay, where will be the next coaching change? Because Travis Green is a very good head coach and he's not going to have a problem finding a job. Now, let's go to Montreal for a second and we bring back, circle back to Elaine Vigneault. Please do not bring AV back to Montreal. I have a problem. I know everyone's different because you're going to say, oh, Linda, then why do you like Bruce Boudreaux? I take each team, each person separately. I don't paint with the same brush. But the NHL has a tendency to lean on recycling a lot of these coaches. Linda, it's all they do. They dig for it. They search out to do it. They go out of their way just to hire the same names again and again. It almost becomes comical to me. Like when there is an opening. And I call people and they're like, oh, well, here's the names available. Like there's only three people on earth, John Tortorella, Bruce Boudreau and Claude Julian. It's like, well, wait, there's other people who can make sense in that role. You just haven't seen them yet. So, um, yeah, I'm with you. The research cycle. It's something that unfortunately I've just come so accustomed to because it's where the NHL is at. And I feel like every time we take some step forwards and it feels like, oh, people are expanding their pool. They're calling women for these jobs. They're looking at minorities. It's never ingenuine. It's never genuine. And it always ends up being old white guy who had this job previously for someone and all of his friends. Yeah, I wish they would follow in the footsteps with the NFL. And who would have thought the NFL would be proactive, but they are compared to the NHL when there are young assistants being hired as head coaches and GMs and owners, right, Emily, are taking that shot. Totally. And I want to just clarify, Linda, we're not just talking about hiring women hiring minorities, just people who haven't come up the exact same path. It's actually wild of how many European players are in this league 
that there's not one European born head coach. Ricard Gromborg is the name that everyone brings up. He's coached nearly every top suite in this league for Swedish national programs. He's been in Switzerland. He came over to North America two years ago. His agent brought him around to GMs. No one would look at him higher than just an assistant coach or maybe an associate coach if he was lucky. And I get it. You got to pay your dues here. But maybe an outside perspective of someone who found success elsewhere can help your league if you're a little less closed minded. In the NHL, it happens when they don't expect it, right? Look at Florida Mm -hmm. when Coach Q, Joel Quenville, had to resign and Andrew Burnett steps in. And Andrew Burnett could be the next guy, the young guy. But Mm -hmm. who would he would have not, I feel, if that didn't happen, he might not have even gotten an interview somewhere else if he had decided that his dream was to be a head coach for an NHL team. And it just so happened it happened that way fate was in his uh, uh in his corner and i mean we'll see how you know bruno as they call him does and takes this talented team we'll see how far the panthers can go under him but that's a situation where yeah i know about andrew burnett people but that happened by accident only because coach q resigned it's a great point circumstances and timing is everything totally hey you're close with robin leonard he made news i'm not surprised that he is the first This guy is fearless on the ice and off. He has chosen. It is not right for him. He has opted out of the Olympics. If he is indeed asked to represent the team Sweden, which he probably would be uh, at the very least as a backup to Jacob Markstrom. So I'm not surprised when I heard this news. How about you? No, you know, a couple, maybe two weeks ago, I put out a tweet thread after talking to some players about the Olympics. And I said, there's some players who fear this three week quarantine, um, you know, that you they, said it on our podcast, I said it on our podcast, too. And after I put out that tweet, though, a mutual friend between me and Robin said he showed it to him. And Robin's like, wait, that's true. We have to be in there for three weeks. And I think there's some. Wow. So what you're saying, do you think there's a lack of education there by the Players Association not letting these players know what the situation is? It's not necessarily. I don't want to blame the Players Association. It's just the way that guys are. Is that they can't look that far ahead. They're always just in the moment. And it was such a moving target. The Olympics, what the protocols are going to be. They never really visualize what their life is going to be like in the Olympics until we got to this point. And now we're at the point where all the federations came up with their list, their short list of players. So if you're on that list, which Robin was on for team Sweden, he has to start getting drug tested according to the IOC, just to make sure that he can be ready. And then I think there's some guys like Robin starting to think, what's my life really going to be like there? Robin is treated for bipolar disorder. It's something that is a new diagnosis for him relative and he's still managing. And just the idea for him of having to be quarantined for three weeks in a hotel room in China, away from his family, his two young, beautiful kids, his wife, Danya, um, that's hard. And then knowing that he was going to let down his team, the Vegas Golden Knights as well, um, by not being available to them. So I know there's other players thinking about it right now, but I'm not surprised Robin's the first. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's the only because this is kind of what he is his entire career. He's the one that stands on his head and pushes forward when, you know, other guys aren't lining up behind him. I think it's going to be easier now for other guys to line up behind them if they decide. And I would not be surprised, Emily, if others opt out of the Olympics because of that potential of a three-week quarantine in a foreign land. I know these players, all they want to do is represent their country in the Olympics. I get it. I understand it. But I know they're like robots with their schedule, but 
their families, you know, once their families, their wives and significant others chime in and talk about it and sit them down and say, hey, honey, have you really thought about this? Let's visualize what could happen. And is this good for you? Is this good for us? Is this good for your career? Mm -hmm. You're going to see more and more players. And kudos to Robin Lehner, who did this. I am so proud of him for stepping up. I mean, it was a personal decision for him, but in the long run, it's going to help other players. It truly is his decision that he, again, he was brave enough to be the first to do it. So congrats, Robin Lehner, for making that decision for sure. Emily, you have some news about the Arizona Coyotes that I think you should share right here. Yeah, I just wanted to end on this note because I know last week there was a lot of confusion when there was a report out there that the Arizona Coyotes were being up for sale and to be relocated to Houston. That's obviously a a rumor that we've heard. How many times, Linda? Like, when were you hearing the relocation rumors first for the Arizona Coyotes, like the second year they were in the league? Yeah, sadly, nobody wanted it to work there. Right. So I kind of dug around. I was like, where is the truth here? The truth is, is that the Arizona Coyotes deny all of it. Alex Morello, their owner, is committed to keeping this team in Arizona. Something I think people should realize is Alex Morello doesn't even have the capacity to move the team because when a new owner signs an agreement deal with the NHL, they agree not to relocate for seven years. So if they do relocate, it would have to be under a new owner. Um, Everyone's like, oh, well, I saw them in New York. They were having meetings at the league office. Something's fishy. Yeah, they were in New York. uh, Javier Gutierrez, who's the team president, a day before all of these rumors came out, was the keynote speaker at an SBJ panel where he was presenting on the new arena proposal in Tempe that they're so passionate about that they want to get done. And they're pretty close to it. There's just like a hold up right now with city council as these things go. Obviously, local politics has been the biggest hurdle, but they're so passionate about it. Alex Morrell is putting $2 billion of his own money into it. And it's complicated, though. It involves a gambling license, a liquor license, a media license. It's more ambitious than I think any of these projects that the NHL has put forward we've seen. And they know until this is done, until they see the actual building and the teams playing in it, there's going to be rumors about relocation. I'm not unconvinced myself that there's some smoke to the fire. I do think Gary Bettman at least is having some exploratory conversations because what if this falls through and then there's no arena in Arizona And then what do they do? Because he wants a team there, but maybe it's just not viable if you can't get an arena. So I think that's where the Forbes report came from. But I know that it's still the league's priority to have a team in Arizona. And it's still the Coyotes' priority to have a team there as well, specifically in Tempe, where they think is going to be a lot better than Glendale to serve their fans. I get that. And I'd like to see it as well. You know, something we mentioned in our last podcast, I want to bring up now, not that it makes us look like geniuses, but it makes us look like geniuses. We like to look like Uh, geniuses. We brought up the fact, yeah, we brought up the fact, uh, and I probably stirred the pot a bit with the Oilers and Leafs at Mm. the time of our last podcast last week, you know, hey, they were, everything was right. Everything was rosy. And I, I just poured out, I go, hey, until they do it in the playoffs, then I'll, that'll get my attention. And then since we last chatted, Emily, they haven't looked that great. Now, the good news, our our friend of the program, Darnell Nurse, returned last night, scored a goal, but the Kings played so well against the Oilers from start to finish. Connor McDavid was so frustrated about not getting the calls. He took a boarding penalty, a major. When you see a five-minute major boarding penalty, that was wild. Yeah, but it still was a dangerous penalty against Adrian Kempe. And, you know, I think, and, you know, people, I mentioned this on the radio this morning, Emily, I said, boy, that would be one way for the league to make a statement, you know, make a statement against the best player in the league for doing so. 
I see what was going on with Conor McDavid. It, he wanted a wake-up call. He's A, frustrated because he doesn't get the calls or as many as he'd like. B, his team was awful from start to finish. The LA Kings were the much better team last night. And once he took that five-minute penalty, then the Kings blew open the game, Emily. And so he hurt his team, but he was also trying to wake up his team. And then you had the Toronto Maple Leafs up against a suddenly what we thought they were going to be, Winnipeg Jets. Wow, was a what a game that are was. a heavy game, a heavy team. They are physical. They are highly talented. They have great goaltending, and they're a heavy team. That's the kind of team that's tough to play in the playoffs. And the Toronto Maple Leafs had no answer to the Winnipeg Jets. And those two teams, the Oilers and the Leafs, better figure these things out. Use the regular season to find out your serious flaws that will keep you from excelling when it matters most in the postseason, Emily. I hope our producer, Christina, clips this. And when either team is inevitably ousted in the first round, we will bring it back. <laughs> nice. Nice. And uh, if they prove us wrong, we will take credit for igniting the fire and having the organization change the way each team plays. Is that how that works on this podcast? Because I was just on Around the Horn today and I had to get negative 14 points for saying Alabama was done on Friday. <laughs> oh, wow. It wasn't good. But, you you know, Alabama surprised everyone with that convincing Thank statement you. win. Nobody saw that coming after what happened last I didn't think they could block time. against Georgia's line. Honestly, and Georgia's vaunted defense. Okay, I digress. Enough football talk. Linda, what do you got this week? Uh, what do I have this week? Uh, you'll hear my beautiful voice Tuesday and Fridays during our amazing ESPN Plus games. And I will have, I'll be hosting in the crease Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday, every night on ESPN Plus after the final whistle of the final game. Love tuning in. Honestly, as I told you, I love watching the next morning because I'm not always a night owl. And I feel like sometimes it's the best way that I can catch up on games. Um, and I take you around in my neighborhood and I watch it on, on that girl who's just <laughs> looking at her phone, not looking up, probably walking into trees. So um, it's a little bit of a lighter week this week for me. I've got a reporting trip on Wednesday, so I'll be out of pocket. Um, we'll talk again on Thursday. And by then... I'll be in D.C. because I'm so excited to take in my first ever Between the Benches Caps-Pens rivalry Friday night on Plus. So I'm pumped for that. You know why that's a great thing besides that you'll be in Between the Benches is that this is a time where hockey fans don't take Alex Ovechkin against Sidney Crosby for granted. So true. And we are running out of these games. I know Alex wants to play till he's 50 and he'll break Gretzky's record. I get that. But I don't know about Sid, what's going on there. And to see those guys up against each other, it brings out the best in each of them. So I'm thrilled for you that you're going to get a front row seat. I I mean it. I mean, what a lovely note, too. Like just keeping things in perspective. We live in a special time. The things we do are special. You're special to me, Linda. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. One more thing before we go. How about the Anaheim Ducks? Love the way they've been playing. You could see them Wednesday on ESPN Plus. And get this. It will be and feature a commercial-free third period. So make sure you tune to that on ESPN+. I know Duck fans always do. So looking forward to that.